Hey, Britney fans, you're listening to That Britney Podcast with your hostesses, Erin and Casey. We're so excited to talk to you about all things Britney and Britney adjacent, beginning with her memoir, The Woman and Me. Before we dive back into the book, we wanted to address the surprising amount of listener feedback we received after episode one. The same question kept coming up, which was, and I paraphrase, who the hell do you people think you are? Again, thank you for taking time to send such aggressively curious emails and DMs. It's a fair question that we'll attempt to answer now with the help of the show's Wikipedia page. Erin and Casey met at high school cheerleading tryouts in the summer of 1997. Erin loves to embarrass Casey with this fact because Casey is the bookish, introverted, Janine Garofalo-style skeptic in the friendship, and cheerleading is not on brand. While Erin, on the other hand, has a personality tailor-made for stage and screen, with optimism, spontaneity, and theatricality to spare. They both made the squad and became fast friends in part because of their shared background in dance, having both spent many years in classes and performing groups. Add to that a mutual love of 90s pop music and pop culture in general, and here they are, lifelong friends who never stopped loving or talking about the things they connected over all of those years ago, including Britney Spears. But enough about them. Back to the book. Just to quickly summarize, in the first chapter... Brittany tells us the tragic stories of both sets of grandparents, all of which set her immediate family on a course for even more tragedies. So Erin, please, please, please tell us what happens in chapter two. Okay, so chapter two opens by giving us a little insight into Jamie and Lynn's early years of marriage the various jobs and businesses they had, and how they went from having virtually no money to being, as Brittany puts it, well off. Now, Casey, I know that you have read both Lynn's memoir as well as Jamie Lynn's. So not I- proud of that. Just for the record, <laughs> not proud of that. And I do not encourage any of you to purchase either book or give them your money so I just want to I just want to say that up front but Aaron please continue I like that however that does make you a little bit more of an expert than I so knowing this information about the jobs that they've had and kind of their the Jamie and Lynn early years of marriage what are your thoughts on what Brittany had to say about this stage in their life you know for the most part, this all tracks just the story of the parents get married really young. The mom's 21, the dad's 23. They have Brian, uh, the older brother. And then a few years after that, they have Brittany and they're pretty much kind of, they're just struggling to get by. Um, so that story is consistent across the family. After that, uh, not so much. It was interesting how we do get a mention of how the grandfather Barney on the mom's side dies in a car accident and that sends Jamie on a multi-day bender and kind of sets this pattern up throughout their lives and throughout the story of Jamie disappearing for long periods of time because of his alcoholism. I guess I didn't know 
I didn't know the nitty gritty behind um, Brittany's upbringing. I mean, I had made assumptions, but no idea what was actually going on. Um, it's no surprise to me that Brittany would continue her life creating unhealthy attachment styles to men because this is a woman who didn't know if her father was coming home she also kind of mentions that she was constantly kind of seeking his approval and wanted to be loved unconditionally by him but it felt like his love for her was very conditional it, at this time in her life and so I'm just I keep reading this going red flag red flag man issues daddy issues like there's a lot going on here did did you see those same did you feel those same yeah I I agree and I think a lot of it is textbook child of an alcoholic just the way she describes the environment she raised in, everything feels very up and down, very chaotic, which is a theme throughout the book. But sometimes her dad's business is doing really well. And then he starts drinking heavily again, and then it goes back to bad. So there's just a lot of instability, both financially and emotionally and within the family. It it just it's just really sad. I don't know why I'm laughing because it's really sad, probably because I'll just start crying for her. Where the chapter begins is talking about the financial instability that her parents face early on in their marriage. And then she sort of starts talking more about the emotional instability that comes with the alcoholism that's so rampant in her household as a kid and then beyond. <laughs> Yes. And, yeah. And those two things, I think, really are a huge part of the foundation of any child in these formative years for her. Like that, again, I keep in these first few chapters, I keep saying, no wonder. No wonder. <laughs> no this, wonder. <laughs> this whole thing makes so much sense. So Jamie, um, he quits welding and he starts a construction business. But what I really, really want to talk to you about is the fact that he opens up a gym, a fitness yes. facility, a fitness facility on his property. I feel as if though this is just glossed over and I am like, tell me, I want to read a whole book about this fitness facility. They say that it did very well. Right? What is this business? What is this town? So what I think is so funny is that I have this like thought of what this gym is like, you know, in my head. I'm like, what is the, what is this gym? And then yesterday, out of nowhere, you posted the Zillow listing for this house specifically. I cannot tell you how fast I hopped onto that link to look at what this house looked like. So I could start placing these stories. I was so pleasantly surprised that they showed a picture of what this gym space, in air quotes, and dance studio, they're marketing it as a dance studio. But we know because we read the damn book 
that this was the fitness studio. And it is, I don't eat for lack of a better term, it is janky. It's giving the movie Saw. It's giving Wes Craven. <laughs> I saw it and I thought, surely they jest. Surely this is a joke. It, it was real. And then I immediately started thinking, well, how do, how do I buy this? <laughs> oh my God, I was like, do we need to buy this together? Pack your bags, Erin. We're moving to Kentwood. I'm so on board. <laughs> I'm so on board. Um, oh, it was, it was rough. It was, it's nice to have a visual though. Yes, because this whole time I'm reading this and she's talking about it, like this is where Jamie was making his money. And so it sounds like this thing. And she talks about the endless string of muscular men that streamed out of the gym. And I'm like looking at it and I'm like, oh, the immediately I saw that. And the type of man that was walking out of this gym changed in my head so very quickly. It does open up a Pandora's box of new questions about the father, Jamie. When he's going on these benders, where is he going? And with whom? His gym friends? I don't know, guys. I don't know. This is all alleged. All alleged. It just made me wonder. And well, Aaron, you're doing such a beautiful job of painting a picture with your words and descriptions here that it it really is making me think about a few things in a new way. You know, I've never drawn that conclusion. But now that you're saying it, I wouldn't be surprised. Also, take yourself back to the fact that this is in the 80s. Yeah, it was a different time, which leads me into a question that I am dying to ask you about. They talk about how when this fitness business starts to do really well, the family starts throwing really big, crazy parties. Um, she assumes the secret ingredient for staying up all night was speed since that was the drug of choice back then. How interesting that early on in this story, in her childhood, we're establishing that her parents have some sort of relationship with drugs and partying. Later on in the book, spoiler alert, she has to then talk about how misrepresented her relationship with drugs and partying were when she becomes a young adult and how hypocritical all of this feels knowing what we know Aaron what what did you think when you read this part of the book and and the and the speed and the partying I, I mean obviously I highlighted that and what I wrote is what a strange assumption what a weird thing what a weird connection for her to make unless she actually knew that they were on speed. She said she assumed that they were on speed. Um, I'll tell you this. I come from a very large Catholic Polish family. And we are up until the wee hours of the night. Not a single one of us is on speed. So the fact that she's making this, I mean, these could all just be, you know, drunk Louisiana folk. So the fact that she assumes that it's speed is so strange to me. It feels a little on the nose. Yeah. And I, I'm like, are you saying that because that's that was her drug of choice or is her drug of choice? 
Or was it confirmed after the fact? It could be any of the above. It could be anything. It really could. Right before she ends this first section of the chapter, she talks about how her mother opens a daycare center and the last sentence before she starts this new section is, and I quote, my mother never missed an opportunity to recall that she was in excruciating labor with me for 21 hours. And I'm mentioning this now because she takes the time to mention this several times in the book. Yes, she does. Obviously, she has a lot of anger towards her mom. Is there any other reason that you can think of that she would mention this repeatedly in different points of the story? Wow. Um, I mean, I, I definitely, that jumped out at me. I feel like if you are saying that to your child, you are saying it almost as if though you are justifying that that child owes you something. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I get from it, I think. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that Brittany must have heard this enough to mention it several times in her memoir and to have internalized it in some way. And it probably did feel like Lynn was at once admonishing her and then also using it as a way to constantly remind her that she was owed something, that it was transactional in some way, this relationship of theirs. So I, that also made me sad. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, and it's now listen, I am not um, a stranger to using some sort of version of this to guilt trip my own son into something, but I am doing it in jest. It is, it, I'm not saying I was in labor for hours and days. And the only reason that I'm using that statement is, you know, maybe to get him to take out the garbage without complaining. Or, you know, there's there's a little bit of leverage that motherhood has, but this is beyond leverage. This is Lynn saying, I was in excruciating pain. This is her dramatizing the whole thing. This is not in jest. She wants Brittany to know that Brittany owes her something. That's the feeling that I get from this. Absolutely. And throughout the book, all of Lynn's behavior definitely supports that. I agree. You know, she has this terrible relationship with her mother. In this next section, Brittany talks about the very special relationship that she has with her great-grandmother, Lexi. And Lexi is her dad's grandmother. And Brittany and Lexi, they hung out. They played with makeup. They listened to music. And you really get the sense that when the two of them are together, Brittany is happy, Brittany is joyful, and Brittany feels safe mm -hmm. with this woman. I just love that for Brittany because the amount of male energy that is in this woman's life, it made me so happy to hear her speak so fondly of a strong 
female role model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just has such bad parents. <laughs> such bad parents. Sorry, but she does. And I'm. it was a small relief to read a, about this great-grandmother Lexi who provides her with the loving, stable home that she doesn't have in her actual house with her immediate family. So this part was was really, really beautiful to read and then ultimately heartbreaking because of, of what happens. Brittany describes an incident where her and Lexi get into a fender bender and from that and how many car accidents is that now Aaron? i know we need like a, a car accident counter <laughs> a vehicle accident a vehicular tracker vehicular um you know you know they get into a fender bender and from that point on Brittany is not allowed to be alone with her great grandmother and then we get the mother of all quotes from Brittany another like holy moly she just said that it is an aha moment that again if I only read the sentence it would explain everything and I'm gonna read exactly what Brittany says she says of this incident it was a huge loss for me I didn't understand how being with someone I loved could be considered dangerous full body goosebumps Full body goosebumps. Excuse me while I sob for a solid 10 minutes. Holy shit, Casey. I mean, this is foreshadowing 101. Okay, so let, let's break this down just a, just a tiny bit more because there is a lot going on in just the part of this story where she they get into the car accident, yet another car accident, and then they're not allowed to spend time alone together anymore. The accident scares Brittany's mother. And it sounds like from the way Brittany tells it, it's Lynn who decides that they're not allowed to hang out one-on-one together anymore. On the one hand, as a parent myself, I would have concerns, sure. Yeah. However, however, if I know that this is my child's best friend in the whole wide world, yep. I'm not going to cut off contact completely, which is pretty much what sounds like happened. This sounds like a failure on the parent's part. No surprise there. But also this quote that that you read about how she didn't understand how being with someone she loved could be considered dangerous. This is really confusing as well, because we find that throughout her life, she has a, a pattern of trusting the wrong people. So it does become a central question of, I love this person. How could this be bad for me? But sometimes it is. And yeah. that is a lesson that is very hard learned over the course of a lifetime, which which is where we are and which is why we're reading the book. But I I don't know that that quote gave me chills because it is so nuanced. Yeah. And there is there are so many layers to it. Like, tell me what you thought. Heartbreaking. It is a heartbreaking statement. And I think one of the biggest things that I saw from it, this is her making making this. I mean, she's making this statement as an adult, but this was her perspective as a young girl. And 
Brittany herself grows up to have problems with her mental health. She herself is considered dangerous to her children. Mm -hmm. And she does not understand why if she is their mother, that it's not safe for her children to be with her. So and, true. Such a good point. And and reading this, I, I I definitely felt like I could feel how she felt in that moment. But I also see a little bit of delusion. Her children might not have been safe around her. But when mania and depression hit, it hit hard. And just because she loves her children doesn't mean she's a safe space for them. So it, like you said, it is layered. This is a layered statement. Yes, there's some gray area. And just like the story itself of this relationship and fallout between her and her great grandmother, it's complicated. And so she makes this pretty heavy statement at the end of it. And it makes sense that it too is very complicated so absolutely uh so the chapter ends with a seemingly random story about how Brittany liked to hide in the cabinets of her house which ultimately allows her to explain that this concept of hiding brought her attention uh we also get a little mention of dance for the first time and her love of performing but what we can see is that at this early stage in life, she is already challenged by this internal battle of wanting to hide, but also wanting to be seen. Ooh. Oh, oh man, this one really, really struck a struck a chord. I had to put the book down for a second and just take a moment and really sit with it because I thought she's kind of talking about two things in one here. I think on the one hand, she talks about how she hides in the cabinets and it's a way for her to get attention. Because as we'll see in this chapter and also in the next couple chapters that she is starving for attention. This yes. little girl, no one will pay attention to her. This poor thing, she's just starving. So that's happening, I think, in, in this part of the chapter. And then she the other thing that's happening is this tension that you're talking about of wanting to be seen, wanting to be a star, wanting to be in the spotlight, but also wanting to hide, wanting anonymity, wanting the independence and the freedom that comes with that. I love, love the fact that you said that she was starving for attention. I love that because the, these chapters really are about her needing attention and not getting it. And the that theme is there. But when you said starving for attention, that hit me. Yeah, you're right. She absolutely was. And, you know, I wrote down she, the quote in the book is hiding was one way I got attention. I wrote down oxymoron. Like, <laughs> hiding and attention. Like, Fire and ice. And can you imagine being the age that she was at and already struggling with this concept? Yes, because I did and do. 
this feeling of wanting to perform and wanting people to recognize you and acknowledge your talent, whatever it is, but also feeling really uncomfortable with the attention at the same time. Do you relate with that? Yes and no. I think in my old age, I've got a huge case of, I don't give a fuck. Uh, and, and I think we all know that Brittany also is experiencing a huge case of, I don't give a fuck as well. The one time in my life that I did not want people to look at me was when I was struggling very heavily with my first experience with anxiety and panic disorder. It was actually right before my wedding. And I told my mom, I said, I I would full blown panic attack. Like my mom, I am breathing into a paper bag. And my mom goes, why are you so nervous? And I said, I just, so many people are going to be looking at me on my wedding day. And she said, Erin, that does not make sense. She goes, you have performed in front of hundreds of people your entire life. You enjoy being in front of people but I didn't in that moment and that was when we kind of knew something was wrong so I think maybe the hiding could be some early signs of anxiety but I don't know I'm not exactly but I also think she really clearly lays out she hid for attention yeah it definitely feels like some sort of passive aggressive cry for help yes situation where you feel like you can't say please look at me please pay attention to me maybe it is easier to just hide and see how long it takes them to notice you're gone (laughs) absolutely I mean yeah it just the it, it was very fascinating to me that this little section made it into the book um the last line of this chapter tickles my fancy she says but with everyone's eyes on me I became something else someone who could command a room in white tights belting out a song I felt like anything was possible and I'm like same girl same like in the 80s the power of white tights are you kidding me it's hard to explain to a modern audience if you weren't there this is so true and you know she's wearing like doily socks and like a white patent leather shoe with the tight as well like what is the modern what is the present day equivalent of a white tight what is a what is a power garment? I can tell you. I tell can me. tell you because I have a niece who is this age. Um, it is anything tutu-esque, right? So like a big fluffy skirt, tulle, bright colors, and sequins. The girl loves sequins. Hmm. I mean. Well, some, some things are timeless, I guess. That's good to know. That's comforting. Are we ready to dive into chapter three? Chapter three. Chapter three, if it had a title, would basically just be Brian, Brian, Brian. Everyone loves Brian, but also there's a dark side to the Brian story. Not to not to get all the way to the end at the very beginning, but we are going to find out that Brittany is kind of, Brittany is the Jan Brady of her family. Yeah, middle child. And it really shows. So we're going to see that starting here in chapter three when she introduces us to her older brother, Brian. 
Um, he is eight years old when this story takes place. I did the math. Brittany is four. He gets into a head-on collision with his friends from the neighborhood in their four-wheelers. And Brian is injured and he is bedridden for a pretty solid amount of time. We are told, and I quote, my mom catered to my brother because of guilt. She still defers to him to this day. It's funny how one split second can change a family's dynamics forever. This struck me as interesting because Lynn just seems like one of those gals who defers to men in general. Ladies, am I right? Erin, back me up. I just love the statement. Lynn seems like one of those gals. I mean, I just feel like that's enough. She's just one of those gals. She is. What I thought was most interesting about this, because she does, she talks about how he was in the hospital and receiving gifts. We are going right back to that need for attention. She is seeing her brother get all of this attention, being waited on hand and foot, receiving mm-hmm. gifts. You know, I think she is straight up jealous. Yes, she she is very jealous, which is to be expected. If my brother got so many gifts that it felt like every day was Christmas, her words, I'd be furious. But she also talks about how she has this bottomless well of empathy and what she calls sincere, genuine recognition of his pain. Interesting. It is an interesting juxtaposition to be very jealous of somebody at one time, but to also love them more than anyone else at the same time. And to be able to, even in that moment, recognize that as much as Brian's getting presents and getting attention, I also know that his life has been harder than mine. Our dad is harder on him than he is on me, even though dad's mean to me. So it's just interesting that she can still see that in that moment and give him a level of understanding that a lot of children might not be able to comprehend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, when you were just summarizing that, it hit me a little bit different um, in that. I mean, I just think you described what it's like to have a sibling, you know? I mean, we're jealous, but we love them more than we could ever love anyone else in our lifetime, Mm -hmm. which is interesting given that we know the role that he has played throughout her life moving forward and where he lies in her life currently like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah. and that's hard to lose a sibling who's still there here's a real question yeah how much money would you pay to be like a fly on the wall if we could get brian spears to take some kind of lie detector test and tell us his version of what happened. How much how much would we pay just for the transcript of that to be able to write the questions, have somebody do the lie detector test and then maybe share the findings on the podcast. Like how much would we pay in American dollars? I mean, uh, a lot. It, it, and I also think, you know, as you as you're saying that I'm like, really if we're going to get someone to take a lie detector, I don't know that it would be Brian, but now that I'm thinking about it, Brian's probably the best person he's where person where is brian in all of this 
Somebody's got to get Brian talking right now. Get him on the phone. You're right. He is probably the perfect person to ask these questions to. Only because they have such a surprisingly close relationship in these early chapters. I didn't know that they were this close growing up. And then she idolized him to such an extent. This was surprising to me that even now as an adult, many years looking back at all of this, she still writes about this time and her relationship with him with a lot of affection. Is it too early to mention the fact that she never um let's talk about the fact that she slept in his bed until she was in sixth grade. I was gonna sail right on past that, but yes, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. See, here's where I feel a little conflicted because I love her so much and it's weird. You can't fly past that. Are you kidding me? That's like so weird. I don't like it. I do not like it. I do not care for it. What am I supposed to think of this part? What of the book? Like, Erin, tell me what to think because I don't know. Shock and awe is is a good place to start. (laughs) Start with those two. Those two Um, best friends. Here, okay. So that's not acceptable. We'll start there. Not acceptable to be sleeping with your older brother, four years older, um, until you're in sixth grade, which puts you at like 12 years old. That's too, well, that's too old. So she was 12 and he was 16. Ew. Thank you. Um, Ew, ew. Ew, I hate it. I hate it. And that's why I didn't want to talk about it because I don't have anything positive to say about it. So here's the other thing that kind of crossed my mind is that there is, you know, we talked about this earlier in the first episode in how much of this is true. How much of this is the real story? The longer I sit in that, the longer I I think that this is a good baseline for what happened. I validate her feelings. I validate what is in this book, but this is far, far from the truth. She's not including everything in here. There is a piece of me that wonders what her relationship with her brother was really like. And I know you don't want to think, I know, I know you don't want to go there, but and here's where, okay, I know you're, you're struggling. And here's the one thing that I will say about it is if, 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 if capital IF there was some sort of sexual abuse, it would make sense that she is talking about him so fondly in a sense that if she was groomed when you're kidnapped by someone there's a name for it. Oh, like Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Yes. So there's there's this element of grooming that is kind of adjacent to Stockholm syndrome, right? Um, and Stockholm syndrome adjacent, sure. <laughs> obviously, um, but yeah, when yeah. grooming is, and I had to write like look up what grooming is because there is there are conversations right now all over left and right about what grooming actually is 
because there's Pauline Ballinger. Yes. Oh my God. That's a whole nother episode. Grooming doesn't necessarily have to be sexual abuse grooming. But so I wrote down the definition. Grooming is when someone builds a relationship, trust, and emotional connection with a child or young person so that they can manipulate, exploit, and abuse them. Wow. My mind is blown right now because I definitely put an asterisk by this section of the book and a frowny face. (laughs) Very deserving of a frowny face. And it obviously struck me as being very odd and very inappropriate, but this is enlightening on a level that I, that my brain just was not letting me get to. So thank you for opening the door because this, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. I'm I'm sorry that I opened that door because now again, it, it makes so much sense when you, when you talk about their ages, when this is happening and the, the age difference and even this pattern she has of dating his friends. It's just, I mean, and granted all of these things could be All of these things about her childhood could be normal in isolation. Yeah. But the fact that it's all coming together, all happening together, all of these variables are present. And what you're saying does make me think about this in a different way. I think I said (laughs) five minutes ago, but I, this has just opened my eyes. And again, this is clearly alleged right like we don't know this for sure but I just there is just a piece of me that feels uncomfortable I'm uncomfortable a with the fact that she slept in his room for that long at the ages that they were at but then for her to follow it up speaking so highly of him I just got this sense that she is completely manipulated by him and you know like the wool is over her eyes but that is behavior that happens when you're abused yeah you know that would explain the confusion I felt as a reader having not gone through an experience like that I mean because I just thought huh it's so weird that she's talking about her brother like this and knowing what the relationship is now to your point earlier there's just a really big disconnect there and hearing you explain it in those terms and through that lens of grooming alleged it's all alleged so also to to read that part where it says so that they can manipulate exploit and abuse them he has been part of this conservatorship he has done a lot for her and been present for her throughout her career and what has he done he has manipulated her he has exploited her and abused the fact that she has money fame and power and who's getting a paycheck yeah he's cashing in that's i mean not that he knew at that age that she was going to go on to be britney spears but to read that definition i'm like oh it's still happening that if he groomed her in any sort of capacity it's still ongoing yes and even if she hadn't gone on to become the famous britney spears that we all know even if she had gone on to be a nobody in that situation when their kids they're both living in a really chaotic, abusive household. Brittany is lavishing him with attention and 
unconditional love that he's probably not getting from the parents either. So there is this weird power imbalance from the very beginning. Well, and my eyes are open. And also you were saying too, which I think is a good point, is that she went on to date so many of his friends, which again, I'm like, was was that him almost, for lack of a better term, selling her off to his friends so that he could get some sort of clout, you know, for having a sister that he, well, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I think. Yeah. Something weird is going on there. It's getting what out of that. It is weird and it raises a lot of questions. And I think that this has given all of us a lot more to consider for better or worse. The chapter ends with what I thought was a confusing story having to do with the kids in her neighborhood putting on, uh, creating a, a float for a parade or all piling onto a a golf cart and being part of the town parade. Did this feel random to you? Did it feel like the the ghost writer perhaps was saying to himself, "Mm, let me throw in another story about a time when there is basically some sort of uh, car accident? (laughs) What's going on here? Why is this part of the book? Enlighten me. I, as we were talking about in episode one, where it was, I kind of mentioned how I felt like this writing was a little chaotic and uh-huh. they like the chapters were arbitrary and, and this is a prime example of that. I think this feels very like a, like the ghostwriter didn't either didn't know what to do. And, you know, maybe there's a point to it that we are missing, but I will say, why are we ending the chapter with a parade? I mean, girl, I love a parade. I know you do. But you've gone on record many, many times. <laughs> it's true. It is true. As as a lover of parades. But what I just wrote in the Literally, I wrote down, not necessary. Especially after a story of your brother suffering a very serious physical injury, and then about how much you love your brother, maybe inappropriately so, allegedly. It's weird to cap it all off with this weird Mardi Gras parade story. And I thought, surely I'm missing something here. And you know what? Maybe we are. And maybe our listeners will be able to shed some light onto this. Please shed some light on the significance of the parade. While chapter two starts with the Spears family finding some success, chapter four highlights the beginning of their financial demise. She talks about Jamie's escalating alcoholism and abuse. And then she goes on to explain that even though her father was the villain, that Brittany would focus her anger towards her mom, which I think is very common for children to be angry with the parent who stays in a bad situation and also keeps the children in a bad situation. Oh, yeah. I also think that in this part of the book, and in many other parts of the book, to your point earlier, there's a question of how much she isn't sharing. And in this part of the book, she says very quickly, my dad could also be abusive with my mom, but he was more the type who would go away for days at a time. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Your dad could be abusive with your mom? That 
that statement could mean a lot of different things. And my assumption is that it, the abuse was probably pretty bad in this house. To what degree? I don't know. I, I agree. I, I mean, yeah, again, I don't, I think there's so much that we don't know. Um, even though she's quote unquote, laying it out for us. I, I think that there is a lot to be left to the imagination. We are told that Jamie gets so drunk that he's basically incapacitated to where a Brittany at a very young age is yelling at her mom to just feed him and put him to bed. He's sick. Like he's, he's physically acting sick. He's so drunk and so out of it. So that's horrifying to, to read and to imagine going through as a very, as a very young child. And then we learn that that's what it's like when he is there. Sometimes he's not there at all, which is its own kind of horror in its own way. I do think that her house was probably a horrible place to be. One of the things that jumped out to me is that she's talking a lot about how the family is struggling financially, which at such a young age to watch that happen, it changes your relationship to money. It changes your relationship to money, but also how badly you want it. I think that's a lot to put onto a small child. And I think that that fundamentally changed her. I also feel like you can clearly see that she is already trying to fix the family and trying to fix what is going on in her household at such a young age changes you at the core. And changes the dynamics of your family relationships too, which which we'll see in the book. I, th I think we're going to touch on that. I think we will touch on some issues with her family. I think Brittany feels like she is the one that has to fix it. She's not seeing her mom fix it. Mm -mm. She's not seeing her dad fix it. And she's taking on this responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And I think this comes up again and again throughout the memoir where she's surrounded by people who don't acknowledge her personhood, who don't acknowledge her opinions or her feelings, or anything about her life, really. And it's starting now when she's a really small kid and having to grapple with and try to solve all of these very adult problems that, to your point. So yeah, this was, this does not paint a picture of a happy childhood, which we're not surprised by, but it, is this one was hard to read. Yeah, it's heartbreaking for sure. D despite all of this conflict in her household, it sounds like Lynn did her best to make sure that the house was, quote unquote, the cool house where everyone wanted to hang out. And it sounds like her mom was very social and her brother and his friends ran around, watched TV, played video games. And she describes her house as a zoo. And amongst all of this chaos, Brittany was essentially ignored. And she tried with all of her teeny tiny might to get eyes on her, seeking attention, even if it meant that she had to dance on tables to get it. Classic Brittany. Classic Peg. To me, this chapter in two sentences is about alcoholism slash abuse. And then it's about starving for attention. That's her home life. And 
that's so that's so devastating for poor young Brittany just having to deal with those two really really huge big things as such a tiny little girl makes me sad for her 100 (laughs) percent okay we did it And that's it for this episode. Be sure to follow us on all of the socials to join in on the conversation. We would love to know your thoughts on the book. Until next time, happy reading.